This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season, we bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together other like-minded organizations who are all focused on making disciples. Our goal is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. Before we get started into the featured content for today, I want you to know about an ebook called Multiply Disciples by Winfield Bevins, which Discipleship.org released in partnership with Exponential. Multiply Disciples draws wisdom from church history by looking at several important disciple-making movements, the Celtic movement, the Moravian movement, and the Methodist movement. These movements offer vital contributions to the church that can help you rediscover the power of making and multiplying disciples of Jesus Christ in the 21st century. Author Winfield Bevins is the director of church planting at Asbury Theological Seminary, and you can download his ebook, Multiply Disciples, at discipleship.org slash ebooks, or click on the link in the show notes. Today we're featuring an episode from Renew and their track at the National Disciple Making Forum called The Teaching of Jesus to Fuel Disciple Making. And the episode for today is called Discipling and Core 52 Doctrines, featuring Mark Moore. Take a listen. Well, thanks guys for, uh, for coming out. I appreciate the theologians in our midst. And this is like a bizarre uh, confluence. Uh, Reggie Rice in the back is, uh, is on our staff. He does all our adult ministries. I'm kind of the content guy. Uh, he's kind of the uh, strategy guy. I just got back from a discipleship trip um, I, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a super great discipler, to be honest, although for 25 years I have discipled five guys at a time in my living room, guys that I believe in. And so, I mean, Joe, you know, know me a little bit. It's um, some, some of the guys that I have discipled um, have really made an impact in the kingdom. And so I have a, I have a board, a wooden board in, in my office that has their signature on it after two years of discipleship uh, for each of them. And are we on? It looks like you're fiddling with something. Yeah, okay, good. I didn't, just didn't know if you needed to touch me again. I'm a little nervous about that. Um, but for years I've been discipling guys, and I, I think I found a groove that I really like. And part of it came out of, just be honest, um, selfishness. I, I've taken people to Israel a lot. I, I'm, I'll talk about my scholarship in, in just a minute, because that's probably the least uh, important thing. But... Um, I know a lot about the ancient Near East. Uh, I did the whole PhD route, European PhD. Craig Evans, uh, Howard Marshall uh, examined me and proved to me I'm really not that smart. So there is that. Uh, but, but I've done the bus tours a lot, and I've always wanted to do Israel. And Pradeep is, a, is a, like he's a legitimate discipler uh, from Nepal. He has, how, how, many, how many pastors have you raised up in, in churches all across Nepal? What? 40 disciples, uh, but he gathered together over 170 pastors in Nepal that we got to, to minister to. But yeah, but, so I, dis, I decided I don't want to do Israel on a bus anymore. Um, I, I want to do it just hiking. So several years ago, uh, I said, and ladies, don't hate me for this, guys only, no check luggage, 110 miles in 10 days. If you can't hack that, you can't come. And what I discovered was women love the face-to-face -face conversations. Men love the hip-to-hip -hip conversations. So if we're 
if we're hiking or biking or working or playing a sport, that's when our best conversations are. So most of church discipleship that is let's sit in a circle and, and talk to one another, most guys, I would rather be hit with a two by four. I mean, it's painful. And my wife knows, I, we do a neighborhood group every week. I love the people. I, I really, the format seems a little awkward to me. So on this last trip, a guy, a guy in our church, I love Matt. Um, Matt is a very successful financial planner. And several years ago, he said, a tithe is insufficient to express my gratitude to God. So he started an organization, mission organization, by asking three questions. Who are the poorest people in the world? What is their greatest physical need? And of, the, of that group, who has least access to Jesus? So he started uh, digging wells in Nepal. And it, was, it became very effective because every well you dig, a community is serviced, and that means a church can grow, and that means you need to raise up a pastor and train a pastor to be there, and that pastor is probably going to be persecuted. So he goes, how can we grow the organization? I said, well, dude, you're, you're in the Himalayas. What dude doesn't want to hike the Himalayas? So offer a hike, all disciple guys for three days, that'll be the hook, but they have to, each one of them pay for a well, each one of them have to pay for pastors to come, and by the way, you're training the pastors. Now, the, the guys I'm talking about are, some of them are really bought into Christ, some of them are just, they're going there to hike Israel, or to, to hike Nepal. Uh, one of the guys on our team, man, it rocked his world. He runs a marketing uh, organization that probably, I think they did about $150 million last year. So he is, he's in the thick of major corporations and really secularization. It's had an effect on him. He, he loves Jesus. You, you know who I'm talking about? He loves Jesus. He just doesn't know how to live for him well. But on this hike, I surrounded him with 13 guys, and honestly, it wasn't me. It's the dudes together that are making a difference. And every discipler knows that, right? So that's, uh, and so I, I work with this missionary named Pradeep. He rocked our world. I had our, our 13 guys stand up in front of this group of pastors and just ask the pastors, how many of you have lost family because of following Christ? How many of you have been physically beaten for following Christ? Stand up. How many of you, and we just like four questions. And about a third of the room at that point living martyrs staring into the eyes of these men and instantly, I mean, these, we're talking about dudes, dudes. We, we had two F-35 pilots in, in the room. They don't cry. They did that day. What fascinated me is um, one of the F-35 pilots, he's not just a pilot, he is actually the commander of Luke Air Force Base. So all the F-35 pilots that get trained, he is their leader. And he pulled me aside and said, man, I just don't have anything like this, this group of men together. I, I don't have that. I mean, you're kidding me. You lead a military base. How could, you, how could you not have this? Andy, who, like he's a, a walking Arnold Schwarzenegger, he wept saying, I don't have any, I, I don't have men in my life that can take me to the next level of discipleship. Thrilling, thrilling for me. And lo and behold, Perdeep shows up today. I had no idea that you were going to be here. So... I've just, I've just got to greet you, brother. Oh, I love this Divine man. Divine provision. Yeah. Okay, so uh, let's, let's, let's start the workshop. I am a theologian by trade, uh, spent 22 years teaching in a Bible college, which I love, love, love. So you want to talk textual criticism, I'm in. You want to talk about genre, revelation, uh, end times eschatology, predestined, I'm in, I'm in. 
But there's not a lot of market for that in the local church. And I think, that, like I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a biblicist. I think the Bible is the, the greatest literary artifact on the planet. It also happens to be God's divine word, and it changes lives. And what I noticed uh, in the church is that those who are engaged in the Bible have a better life. That's my goal. That's what I bring to this. I'm not the greatest leader. I'm not the greatest preacher. I'm not even the greatest scholar. But pulling those things together, I think we can make a difference in people's lives. And I ran across a study. Um, I, I think this will interest you. Over, I think it was 200,000 people were engaged in this study. Not a Christian study. Just, it was just a study of people's worldview in the Phoenix area. And one of the questions that they ask is, do you want to know the Bible better? 80% of people in church said yes. 60% of people who said yes don't go to any church. Think about that. So I got, to I got to thinking, there is a huge market for people to want to know the Bible better. As a preacher, I'm just going to confess now. I've been doing this, look at me, you know, I've been at this a long time. I've made a mistake for three decades trying to talk people into knowing the Bible. Like, don't you want to know the Bible? You've got you to read the Bible. You've got to study the Bible. You have your daily devotions. They already want to. I've wasted 30 years trying to convince people to want to read the Bible. They already do. The problem is not them. It's me. I know it sounds like a bad breakup. <laughs> no, it's me, not you. No, it really is me. And here's the problem. If you have, uh, it, this, whether you're a Christian or a marketer, if you have a market for widgets and you can't sell widgets, you're the problem, not the widget. And I'll tell you exactly what the problem is. And again, this is a confession of a pastor. Any, any of the pastors in here? Raise your hands. I want to I accuse you directly. <laughs> Terry, here's the, here's the problem that I made. I grew up in a world, in a Christian world, and in the Bible college world, where I got validated by how much Bible I knew. So what do I want people to do? Know the Bible. Why? Because they need it? No, because I need them to need me to need the Bible. And so I made it far more complicated than it needs to be. And rather than giving them tools for better living, I was giving them theology for better thinking. It made me look good but it didn't make them live any better. And we all know people in our churches that the more they want to know the Bible, the, actually now when people say, I just, I want, I want something deeper, I think that's a total crock. Because if you want something deeper, then feed your stinking self. You would never, you would never spoon feed a teenager unless they were emotionally or physically crippled. So we're creating emotionally and spiritually crippled adults in our churches by forcing them to be spoon-fed from us. Okay, that's just my bias. So uh, 2012, uh, our senior pastor, Don Wilson, founded this church in his living room. It grew to this monstrous, it's, it's ridiculous. And I'm glad Reggie's here to, to like hold me accountable. We are not that good. So don't, don't look at us and go, wow, what are you doing? I don't know. We're being faithful. Maybe that's what we're doing. But we, it is, honestly, it's God's blessing, not any kind of special. We have some strategies and practices that are, are doing the right things. 
but this is God's blessing on us. Our task is to steward it, not to create it. So one of the things that Reggie and I uh, have been talking about for years is how do we get all the people who are coming? Uh, last year, we baptized 4,000 people. That, that's over 10% of our weekend uh, population. So don't be impressed with numbers. Be impressed with the percentages. If you baptized 10% of your congregation last year, that's, that's not bad. But how do we get those people and I, I mean, I could tell you story after story of real life people. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one because I think it's hilarious. The guy, the, one of our associate pastors said, Mark, I need your theological expertise. I got a Jewish guy who uh, thinks he wants to convert but doesn't know if he can. His name was Joshua. The reason he wanted to convert is because he died literally uh, three times. And they resuscitated him. It was a heart issue. It was a heart heart went, went out. He died. Flatlined. They, they brought him back. Three times they brought him back. And so this guy, uh, again, his name's Joshua. He said, I, I, I'm a Jew and all my family is Jews. If I come to Christ, I'm going to lose my family. I, I do believe in God. I don't know about this whole Jesus thing, but I think Jesus is probably the Jewish Messiah. What do I do? Can anyone translate the Hebrew name Joshua into Greek? Anyone? anyone? Jesus. Jesus, yeah. So I said, let me get this straight. Uh, your name is Joshua, which means Jesus. You died and you came back to life. And you're wondering if you should be baptized to die and come back to life. I think, I, I think that's probably appropriate. So he did. He, he gets baptized. But what do, we do? what do we do now for a guy like that to walk him through the trauma? And Jesus said it would happen. You'll lose your family. I lost, I lost my brothers. I lost my mother when I stayed faithful to Jesus Christ. I know how it feels. But how do you walk someone through that? Scripture is the single most powerful resource for spiritual development. Like, we're not even guessing about that. So all the other tracks, like, you're the smartest people in the whole conference because you came to this track. <laughs> yeah. But we know that Bible engagement takes people further faster than any other spiritual discipline, including prayer. You, I mean, you can, do, you can document that. When people are engaged with the Bible four times a week or more, then that's kind of the, the secret sauce. When they read the Bible four times a week or more, sexual immorality in that category of people drops by 60%. 60%. Pornography is like 59%. Gambling, 45%. And it's not because of legalistic um, finger-pointing. It is because... In that same category of people, their self-esteem rises by 30%. Their isolation uh, it lowers by 30%. Their self-harm lowers, or thoughts of self-harm lowers by 30%. All of this I've shared in the introduction to the book, Core 52. So this is what the book looks like. Let me tell you what Reggie and I, um, several years ago, had a conversation that resulted in this. We have all of these people who are baptized. We know that getting them in the Bible is the best thing for them to expedite spiritual growth. And we have admitted it's our fault, not theirs. They want to know the Bible. So by overcomplicating it, even, even telling people, well, read through the Bible. Too complicated. You say, well, gosh, you're not very spiritual. No, I guess I'm not. 
But here's what I know. When people start to read the Bible, what month do they start to read the Bible? January. And when do they stop reading the Bible? Mid-January or February. It goes the same track as their new membership to the gym. And for the same reason, it hurts. They get through Genesis, cool book, a lot of neat stories. Some of it's familiar, creation, sin, fall, flood, Abraham, cool stories. Uh, Exodus is even okay for the first 10 chapters. After that, and Leviticus, are you kidding me? I mean, that sucks. Although, sidebar, did you know that Leviticus was the first book that little Jewish boys memorized verbatim? You think, that makes no sense. It actually does. If you have ADD and you're a little boy, what you love is fire, animals, blood, and death. That's what Leviticus is all about. But for Americans and for most cultures around, it's so foreign, we just lose people. So what we talked about is how can we engage, and I'm actually more interested Don't judge me for this. I'm more interested in engaging high-level influencers and leaders than anyone else because they tend to have an exponential effect of of influence and leadership. So take your average CEO, just stand him up here, and you say, read the Bible. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. But if I give them a challenge that adds practical exercises to the knowledge of Scripture, then they're in if they can fit it in a 15-minute segment. Again, maybe we're not that spiritual. I'm just dealing with reality here. I love my church. It's not a perfect church. We're all kind of screwed up in all kinds of ways, but we've got this huge opportunity to bring people to the foot of the cross and lead them to their next steps in Jesus Christ. So in that, within that context, in that reality, I wanted to take my 22 years of theological training and put it to good effect at a practical level so leaders can lead others and influence them for Jesus Christ. And that was my goal. And, I, and I, I've got the commander of Luke Air Force Base sitting at my feet saying, what do I do now? If I get him, I get 100 F-35 pilots. So that, that's, that's what I'm after. So I I looked through all the Bible, and I started with the top 100. I was going to write a book called The Top 100, and the publisher said, that's too many. You're killing me. So I had to cut in half all of the 100 passages that I think every Christian should know. And I actually, to be honest with you, I started this book 15 years ago for high school students because I wanted to level up high school students so they got to Bible college, they were ready to really learn. Honestly, it was pretty selfish of me. <laughs> You're seeing a pattern here. There's, I, want, I got tired of answering the same stupid questions from freshmen. So if we can level them up before they get there. But it was, it was actually a good idea because a lot of people don't go to Bible college. They don't get theological training. So how can we give Christians the armament that they need to go further faster? Now, I'm gonna, you don't mind if I uh, teach you just a little bit of Bible here? That, that wouldn't offend anybody? Okay. <laughs> Um, if you have a Bible, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you three verses of the Bible on the Bible, what the Bible says about the Bible. And you all, you all know these verses. The first one, you probably guess. Anyone want to guess? It's 2 Timothy 3, 3.16. And, and you could probably quote it. All Scripture is inspired by God, profitable teaching, correcting, reproof, training, righteousness. Do you know what the word for word is? 
in 2 Timothy 3.16? The Greek word is graphē, from which we get the English word graphics, graffiti, calligraphy. It is the writing. When most people talk about Bible study, that's what they're talking about. Picking up the written copy, the printed copy, and studying the words on a page. Fair enough. The second passage I'll have you turn to is, is Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful, is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes the innermost thoughts and desires. You know what the word for word of God is there? It's not graphe. It's logos. Sound familiar to anybody? The logos. Where else do we, pastor, where else do we read the word logos? John 1.1. 1, 1. And there it's talking about what? Christ. Jesus himself. Okay. I, 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 do, do you have a copy of the Bible? You're just no, taking notes. That's very kind. Um, I'm going to read this again. Only instead of, instead of assuming, because the translators assumed it was the Bible in their hand, that logos was a Bible in their hand. I'm going to assume, like John 1, 1, is the person of Jesus. I'm going to read this again. And instead of reading the neuter, which they're not in the Greek, the, like the, the it, they call it an it. It is profitable. Instead of saying it, I'm going to say he. See if this doesn't make really clear sense. For the word of God, that is the logos of God, is alive and powerful. That fits Jesus, right? He is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and spirit. That fits Jesus. Between joint and marrow, he exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Doesn't that make more sense? Verse 13, it makes a heck of a lot more sense. Nothing in all creation is hidden from our God, who is Jesus, the Logos incarnate. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one whom we are accountable. So here's my takeaway. Whereas we, because of our Western bias, we have assumed that the word of God, Hebrews 4.12, is a printed text. What if it is an embodied text? God's word lived out in the person of Jesus Christ. And what I would suggest is if you, if you just Google Logos in the New Testament, it always has the implication of the embodied word, the lived word. So we talk about lifestyle evangelism. I'm the product of the 70s. I apologize for that. But there we talked a lot about lifestyle evangelism, and I heard people say all the time that evangelism, like it's about your lifestyle, it's not the sermons you preach. And people quoted all the time uh, that great uh, Catholic uh, sage, Francis of Assisi, preach always. And if need be, use words. That's a crock. I'm sorry, I love Francis of Assisi, but that is a crock. Because if we just live out a good lifestyle, but don't speak forth the truth of God, where I live, they will assume you're a Mormon, not a Christian. In Chicago, they'll assume that you have bunked with Oprah Winfrey. They don't assume Christianity. It is not enough to live a good life if you don't label it with words. So the last text that is 
the Bible on the Bible is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. Put on the helmet of salvation and take the sword of the Spirit, and you guys know this, right? Quote it out loud, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Do you know what the Greek word for word is in this passage? It's not logos. It's, uh, it is not graphe. It is rhema, the spoken word. And I just want to point something out. This is a passage, we've been talking a lot about the Holy Spirit and spiritual warfare in discipleship, especially, you know, Sierra Leone's on everybody's mind, but Polkara is on people's minds as well, Kathmandu. There's spiritual battles going on. If you think that knowing the text is going to give you firepower against the evil one, you are sadly mistaken. It is not knowing the Bible that gives you spiritual power. It is speaking the Bible that gives you spiritual power. I am over teaching theology. I am over training people just to know the words of a text. Until I train you to live it, it doesn't matter how much you know if you're not living it out. And step three, it doesn't matter how much you live it out for discipleship, for evangelism. It doesn't matter how much you personally live the Bible. We've got a lot of great Christians living the Bible and losing their children because they're moving from first chair Christians to second chair children because they're not articulating the reason for the morality that they're living. And so I want to come along and just help people not just know about the Bible, but to know how to articulate the Bible. So it's simple, simple, simple project. I took the 52 verses that over my 30 years of teaching and preaching, I saw change more lives than any other verses. And I, I labeled them as the 52. And then I wrapped around it four simple exercises to help people go further faster in engaging God's word. Because again, if your people will engage the scriptures four days a week or more, their lives will be transformed. Their moralities, their marriages, their child rearing, their work ethic. So uh, uh, let me just share the strategy. Day one, read the essay. Because not everyone is word-oriented, some are more visual. Uh, I did a little teaching video. There's a, a website that goes along with this, core52.org, and I do a, a six-minute video for each of the, the lessons in the book. It's, it's open access, so it's not like a paid prescription. It's open to everyone. You can share it through YouTube or Vimeo. So that's day one. Day two is memorize the scripture. I won't ask you when's the last time you memorized a Bible verse. A lot of people think they can't memorize. They actually can. And so I did another video for each one of the memory verses where I literally memorized the verse in front of you. Uh, let, let, let's do one. Could we? Could we, could we do one? All right, st stand up, because you can't memorize Scripture properly without standing up. Um, the, the one that I like to do, because it's, it's fairly quick, fairly easy, is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So if you want to set a timer, this is going to take three minutes. Uh, Acts 1.8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's it. 
three minutes, you'll have this memorized. You'll never forget it. But you have to do this with me. You have to do the actions with me. Ready? You'll receive power. power. Okay, yeah, do it again. Yeah, like really mean it. You'll receive power. Okay, follow me. We're going to do it several times. You'll receive power. 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 Okay, you got it? Okay, say it. You'll receive power. Now, notice what she did. She didn't just say it. She fisted it. Okay, so you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit, I just do this for the, looks like a little bird, right? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Again, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, 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 the Holy Spirit comes upon you, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Okay, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Reggie, I wish you could see their faces. Everyone is smiling. Every single person is smiling. All right, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You got to step forward with the left foot, st- uh, point with your right. You'll receive when the whole. You'll be my witnesses. 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 You'll be my witnesses from the top. I didn't say a word. Did you notice that? I was completely silent. Let me show you something else. Follow the actions. Do not think about the words. Just do the actions. I said, don't think about the words. I said, don't think about the words. You see the simple difference it makes? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Because that's where they were. In Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem. And Judea and Samaria were the neighborhoods around. The district in Judea and Samaria. Judea and Samaria. Judea and Samaria. In Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. In Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria. And at the ends of the earth. If you can actually slap someone next to you, it'll be more memorable. And the ends of the earth. And the ends of the earth, and the ends of the earth, and the ends of the earth, in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. From the top, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Silently. You want to try it out loud? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit. Give yourself a hand. <laughs> now, uh, I, I started on my Bible memory journey uh, when I was 12 years old. My father said, I will pay you a dime for every verse you memorize in the book of James. I will give you $5 for every chapter you memorize. And if you get done with the book, I think it was like another $25. He didn't think I would do it. I bled him dry. (laughs) If you talk to uh, educational psychologists, uh, the, the age about 11 through 13 is the best time to introduce Bible memory because they memorize so quickly and so easily. So from a psychological standpoint, start kids out at that age. But even you, at, at your age of 
35 and 40 and 55 and older, <laughs> you got it. You got it in three minutes. And so these, these little um, scriptures, I thought people would just go, oh, I'm going to skip that. I've been getting a lot of such positive response. I love the memory video. Love the memory. In fact, more people have commented to me about the memory videos than the teaching videos, which hurts my feelings. <laughs> but I love it. The third day, that's Monday, Tuesday. The third day is everybody needs to know the big narrative story to the Bible. So I just identify, here's a story of the Bible, a famous story. You've got to know the story of Noah. You've got to know the story of Jonah. You got to know the story of Jesus walking on water. So if they will, on the third day, read a story, and the stories, for the most part, align with the verse they've been memorizing. That simple shell of an idea, the seed of an idea, is expanded into a narrative. So they begin thinking intuitively of how does this verse, this idea, this theological core, play out in the lives of people. Day four, I'm so excited about this. I give three verses that are, I call trajectory verses. Every idea in Core 52 has a trajectory that runs through the Bible. So the first one is Genesis 1.1. Can you think of any other verse that talks about creation? John 1, Psalm 8, Colossians 1, even Revelation 22. When, when people who don't know the Bible Part of what intimidates us about anything we don't know, whether it's fashion or, or music or science, is I, I don't want to be embarrassed. And if you can give people an idea and they begin to self-discover the connections in the Bible theologically, that really turns people on. Because now you've empowered me to read the whole Bible on my own with the core of the foundational ideas. I'm not embarrassed anymore. The, the last day, so we've got read the essay, which also is in a video, memorize the verse, read a story, meditate, like who does that anymore, meditate on three passages to see the trajectory. And the day five is there's one project that you're going to do to live out this principle. If you don't live it out, none of the rest matters. My goal was to provide churches a simple mechanism to level up theologically the whole congregation. So this is ready-made for small groups, and on the website there's uh, even small group discussions uh, that you can tap into. A lot of churches, they're using it for the whole preaching for the entire year as well. just came out in July, so churches are, most of them are starting it in, uh, in January, and there'll be others follow along. But my goal is to get people to engage in Scripture four days a week or more for life transformation. Now look, we don't need people to be smarter in the Bible. That actually makes Pharisees, they tend to be... I, I remember, Reggie, one thing that um, I, said, I said to Don early on when I was there. I'm the teaching pastor. He's the senior pastor. I, I said, Don, what, what if we like, had an area, you know, maybe at the information center, that... that uh, you or I could just stand out there and a answer people's Bible questions. He said, oh, I would never do that. I thought, what? He said, yeah, the people that want to ask Bible questions, I don't want them to corner me because I'll never get away and they will never grow. 
Now, people have legitimate questions about the Bible. I just answered three in email an hour ago. Legit, like, I want to be that resource. But what I found is that if you present yourself as a theological expert, they will always become dependent on you for their spiritual growth in the Bible. That is the opposite direction we want to go with discipleship. So what I want to do is release a tool that they can use on their own with their own family, with their small group, with the people that they're discipling. Uh, obviously, this is for sale. It's easy for you to find it. I would rather you just look for the resources on core52.org. All of that is free. If you want to pick up a copy, certainly you can for that. Uh, I have one copy left with me. Who needs it? Okay. Uh, I'm done talking. Let's talk together now about uh, whether it's Core 52 or some other way of getting people to engage in the Bible. I want to be a resource for you. Okay, so, um, so um, my, my son is actually helping me uh, with a student edition of Core 52. So he is, uh, I've got this on the brain, the five, day five exercise, uh, I really, um, I'm really counting on him to put it in the student world. Here is one for, uh, for the creation. Because you, you do not have a proper creational theology unless you respect what God has done in this world. So he's asking students, uh, is there any place that you can clean up? Is there a park? Maybe it's your room. Have you thrown some trash on the ground? Don't litter. Let's start there. And it, it may be something so simple like that that you go, oh, wait a minute. When I take this cup and I, and I leave it on the ground, I'm, I'm devaluing the environment where the Holy Spirit is trying to bring, bring the wholeness. So that would be, that would be one, um, one idea. Um, look, look through the book and give me another one, and I'll just make one up on the spot. Like, you guys are as good at this as I am. I promise you you are. Holiness. Uh, holiness. So holiness, um, as you know, holiness is not, doesn't start with what you do. It starts with the declaration God makes about you. All of you have something that's holy, a toothbrush. Now th think of all the things you could use a toothbrush for. Cleaning grout, cleaning your shoes. How would you feel if I took your toothbrush and just started cleaning the bottom of my shoe with it? You would be, it's a toothbrush, why not? Because it's my toothbrush and I have my toothbrush for one thing, it's for my teeth. It's like, I'm the only one that's going to use it, and I'm only going to use it on one part of my body, period. Now, if you get that idea, here would be, here would be a student edition. Uh, I want you to go through your room and identify three things that you've set apart, other than your toothbrush, because I've already given it. Identify three things that you've set apart for a singular purpose. Put those on your bed, and now ask the question, if God put me on his bed, what would he say I'm made for? Now go do that. Right now, leave your room and go do that right now. Simple. That's the practice of holiness. See, our holiness begins with a declaration. I set you apart. But it doesn't end until you live out the singular purpose. It's not because you're better than it. Like a toothbrush isn't better than anything else. 
but it's more sacred because God set it apart, but it's only set apart if it's used for that purpose. So if you're not used for the holiness that God set you apart for, then you will abdicate the holiness that God declared for you. That, does that help? Yeah, that's good. Okay, I don't need to prolong this. You guys got, light, I mean, your fellowship is really important, so I, I don't want to like tease out questions, but I, I don't want you to walk away going, man, I wish I'd have asked that either. So how, how can we um, be a resource to you? Yeah, so the guys that I disciple in my living room, um, it's more of a mentoring than discipleship. So have I used this? Yes, absolutely. And it's, I've used it like in neighborhood group settings. And I tell you, for that, it's super helpful because, okay, let's, let's talk about a higher level for, for pastors. One of, the th- one of the things that pastors really have to wrestle with is raising up volunteers. And again, our, our, our church isn't perfect, but the average church spends between 50 and 60% on salaries for their staff. We are at 35 because we prioritize volunteers so much. So how do I get, how do I double the number of neighborhood group leaders? And that's part of Reggie's job. How do you double that number? If you say, I need you to teach a Bible study, you've just cut it in half. But if you say, I have, a, 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 like you don't have to teach anything, but you do have to ask these three questions. And here's a curriculum, Here, here's an exercise that we can give to everyone in your small group. And all you have to do is journey with them. Now suddenly, it's, it's, a, it's, an, it's an easy ask. The people that are using this, and, and again, it's at our church, it's at multiple other churches, they are saying this is one of the easiest groups they've ever done because it's not just touchy-feely, here's how I feel about it, but I've actually had the opportunity to invest in it before I get to the group. And the reason I did the videos, I'll just be honest, the reason I did the videos is not because I need to teach more, but if a group is going to do this and only half the people read it, they're not going to show up. The people who didn't read it aren't going to show up because they'll be embarrassed by not having anything to say. The video solves that. Because in five minutes, just show the video up front and say, hey, we've all read this, which you know they haven't, but I can still participate. I can still ask questions or make comments. You had a question. Uh, with 52 weeks, you could, I could see it going January through the whole year. Are you opposed to doing, making it topical and maybe jumping around a little bit and saying, we're going to focus on... Yep. Uh, absolutely not. The, the, you, you don't have to go in the, in the canonical order of the book. And if you go to the website, there's, um, I've given two suggested sermon series. Each of them breaks it into like four to six week increments. So you could tackle a topic at a time or a section at a time. Like the Psalms, everything in the Psalms is, uh, I think it was like singing the sacred is the title I gave to it. It's a very catchy title, you'll love it. The other way is, um, I've not gone in the order of the book, but gone, so we've really tried to attend to the ecclesiastical calendar. So Christmas is clustered. You have something uh, on Independence Day, we talk about freedom in Christ on the 4th of July. So there's, I've given you two options on the website 
whether it is for sermons or just for the, the study. Reg. Yeah, so for the sake of the tape, let me repeat what Reggie said, <laughs> plus repetition's helpful. Uh, we prefer slow drip training a few minutes a week rather than three hours at a time, and we prefer individual engagement, which really raises the percentage of retention as opposed to lecture, which is at 5%, which it kills me, it, it kills me, kills me, because I want to be a great lecturer. You know, my first master's degree was in adult education. And even back then in the 80s, they were lecturing us of the ineffectiveness of lecture. <laughs> uh, people do love TED Talks, and, uh, and what, but what they love about them is, is they're only 15 minutes, whereas most sermons are a little bit longer. And I'll be honest with you, I do think people... Uh, are able, people are saying we only have a, a 60 second attention span. That is nonsense. I mean, I've been on stage. I see people's eyes. That's, that is nonsense. But it's not the engagement in the moment that is nearly as important as the retention over a decade. So what I've noticed, and this, this is the way that Ashley and I articulate, he's a, a senior pastor now, the way we articulate it is that the large group is for information the small group is for transformation. And people will tell me, not infrequently, oh, your sermon changed my life. But if I ask a follow-up question, what group are you in? They always, it's always the group. I'm the excuse. Like, I'm, I'm the puppet monkey to get people into life transformational groups. And look, I, I would love for you to believe that I'm that good a communicator, that I could change someone's life in a 30-minute message. Doesn't happen. Well, with the Holy Spirit, it can't, but it's, it, it's, it's him, not me. All right. That's it for today's episode. Check out Winfield Bevan's ebook that we mentioned at the top of this episode by going to discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Multiply Disciples by Winfield Bevins. Thanks for listening.